I just did not realize that you could be fat and not want to change. And it was when I realized that kind of um, in 2017 ish, mainly through like online and seeing other people's work and stuff like that, I realized that that was an option. And I suddenly like felt this like relief um, that I didn't have to want to change anymore. Hello, you. Welcome to episode two of The Queer Gaze, a new LGBTQIA plus arts podcast produced and hosted by me, Ashley Owen, and supported by Homotopia. Each week, you'll find me chatting to some of our most loved queer artists and creatives from around the country about their careers, experiences, and all sorts of things. Later in the show, as part of our Spotlight On section, we'll hear from another gorgeous emerging artist who is about to embark on their homotopia queer core journey. And then we'll have you with your queer art and artist recommendations. This week, I'm joined by Katie Greenall. Katie is a theatre maker, facilitator and spoken word artist. We had such a good chat and so much of what Katie has said has really resonated with me. So I'll shut up and leave you to listen Enjoy. Hi, Katie. It's so nice to finally meet you. Well, sort of. (laughs) Um, I've followed you on social media platforms for a while now, but I'm seeing you live for the first time right now. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm really excited to, uh, yeah, see you in sort of real life. Which is which is a joy, and yeah, I'm feeling good. The sun is momentarily shining, and um, yeah, feeling feeling good. Great. So, how would you best describe yourself and what you do? Yeah, my name is Katie Greenall. I use she/her and they/them pronouns. I'm a theatre maker and facilitator, also a writer sometimes, but um, not so much in a pandemic. <laughs> I kind of do a combination of things. I predominantly make work with young people in communities so I work part-time at the Bush Theatre um, in the community department yeah making work with with young people in communities all over London and alongside that I make solo work and autobiographical work so my kind of main piece of work that I've been doing for a few years now is a show called Fatty Fat Fat which is about my experiences navigating the world in a fat body. I love that show. I love that show. (laughs) Did you always know that you wanted to pursue this path or was it something that just sort of happened? I think I'd always kind of loved performing, but I didn't think, I don't think I really knew what, that it was called performing for a while. So like growing up, I'm an only child. So growing up, I used to just (laughs) be an attention seeker. Um, And, you know, every Friday night when Top of the Pops was on, I'd have it on the TV behind me and be doing dance routines (laughs) for my dad for the whole of the top 40, bless him. So like, (laughs) I think I was performing before I really realised what it was. And then I started doing drama outside of school and just drama in school. And everyone was like, oh, you should be an actor. And I was like, oh yeah, but I just, there was something about it that didn't feel quite right. Like when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was sell underwear in the local department store much to my (laughs) parents horror but nothing's wrong with it I'd love it I still would love it um yeah that's why when at like age five to eight that's all I wanted to do was sell knickers in the local department store I just love it so specific though it's not even like clothes it's like knickers and underwear yeah (laughs) why I don't know but clearly that was that was what I wanted to do so and yeah, people, you know, when I was a bit older were like, oh, you should be an actor. And yeah, I was like, I was interested in it. And I knew I wanted 
that was sort of right, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And it was only kind of to very much towards the end of my school. Because, you know, you were told about actors, you were told about directors, maybe, and writers at a push, but that was sort of the like the extent of what was available. So it was only when I joined National Youth Theatre, when I was like just as I was leaving school, that I realised like facilitators and things like that existed. And I was like, oh, that's working more collaboratively, devising that kind of way was something I was more interested in. And that's kind of informed my practice from here on in. So yeah, it, it came a bit later, but it sort of informed all of my life, but I didn't really realise it until later, until I started to find like the specific avenues and spaces that felt um that felt the right fit for what I wanted to do. Yeah, amazing. So what inspires you to make the work that you create? Well, I began writing when I was at drama school because I just had like a bunch of chaos in my head that I couldn't work out how to process other than writing it down. It very much happened by accident. And when I started writing like more sort of spoken word poetry sort of stuff, I didn't really realise that it was, I never intended it for it to be shared. And then kind of as I went along in drama school, like I had a couple of opportunities to share bits of writing as part of the work that we were making and doing. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm more, more interested in telling things from my experience or from other people's experience. Like I'm interested. I, lo- that's, I love reality TV. I love, Same. Yeah. <laughs> I love real people and their stories. And like, yeah, fiction's great and it has its place and no shade to that at all. But for me, it's a, I get really excited about, like finding spaces and allowing people to like share their own stories and sharing my own uh, things that really helped me process them. And that's what I care about. Like I really care about talking about my experiences, (laughs) Um, whether it be, um, you know, self-indulgent or not, like that's what I care about. And that's the art that I enjoy watching of other people's as well. Same. So that's what drives me to to make the work that I make. And, and I generally, whether it be with other people, with you know, with young people or communities or the solo work that I make, I want people to walk away and have, feel differently about something or challenge something about themselves or want to look it up so they can come back and tell me everything I was saying was rubbish. That, that's fine too. I'd rather, obviously, it's not that. But um, <laughs> I love people just be engaged. And I think the, the best thing that I can bring is myself, like, that's the thing I know best and that's the thing I feel most comfortable working from yeah obviously as a fellow fat person and artist (laughs) I'm super here for any work that surrounds fatness you know the things that we experience and all the politics around it I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your journey with body image and self-acceptance of course so I mean, <laughs> big topic. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, so I live in a fat body. I've kind of lived in a fat body for as long as I remember. Like, I think I probably will be fat forever. And so it's something that informs everything that I do. And I didn't really realise that it informed everything I did until quite re- recently. So as I was graduating, although I never really wanted to be an actor, there, you know, there's all those conversations as I was leaving drama school where, like, people talking about casting and this and that and and I just realized I was not fat enough to be the like fat person in inverted commas but also like not thin enough in inverted commas to be like the normal person in inverted commas so like I mean it's all just trash anyway but (laughs) it is the nature of the industry unfortunately so I also began yeah began to realize that like when I was in this new space with new people there was 
I sort of tell these what I presumed were like funny, relatable, like cool stories, you know, to help make friends. And then I sort of get to what I thought was the punchline and people will be like, oh God. <laughs> and <laughs> I just suddenly realised there was a bunch of things that like I'd been subject to and like lived through in my life that other people hadn't. And it was simply because I'd been fat. I was, you know, this is like a really complex and horrible statement to say in itself but like I was lucky enough not to be bullied for being fat growing up lol like what a sentence yeah and so maybe I wasn't as acutely aware of my fatness as maybe some other people like fat children were but there was a hell of a lot of things in my life that it didn't come from school it kind of came from other places and it was perhaps more like insidious and more ingrained and um learned behavior that caused me to hate my fat body and want it to change. Yeah. And it was only as I started to make the show that I realised that like people could be fat and happy. And I'd never realised that before because I'd always been told that I needed to change my body. And I didn't know anyone in my life that was fat and happy because the, the fat people I did know, you know, particularly in my family, all wanted to, to change. You know, people had weight loss surgery in my family, like when I was in my mid-teens and, you know, yeah, again, learned behavior and seeing other people's relationships to their bodies and food. Although living, being a fat body is far more than like just relationship with food. But I just did not realize that you could be fat and not want to change. And it was when I realized that kind of um, in 2017-ish, mainly through like online and seeing other people's work and stuff like that, I realized that that was an option. And I suddenly like felt this like relief um, that I didn't have to want to change anymore. And don't get me wrong, that like journey isn't complete and there isn't still days, you know, particularly through the pandemic, I think I found it really hard, partly because I've been you know, isolated from my community, but also because uh, the government launched a like multi-million pound funded hate campaign against us. So like, you know, um, it's quite hard to just sort of shrug that off. But, you know, I've loved doing the show, but like, like Fatty Fat Fat isn't, isn't, in any way like a guide how to like love your body and it it ends with the journey feeling quite unfinished and previously I've talked about how you know I feel like you know imagine it's a scale before I started at you know negative 10 and everyone else starts at zero I feel like the show's brought me back up to zero I don't feel I, I haven't got to the like fat transcendence nirvana <laughs> world yet <laughs> but yeah um <laughs> yet I hope so. I aspire to. I, I don't know. Me too. I've got, you know, 20 years of unlearning to do. And that doesn't just happen overnight, no matter how many t-shirts and pencils you buy saying, I love my body. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish it was that easy. Uh, <laughs> damn you, capitalism. Um, yeah, no, I wish it I wish it was as easy as that. But unfortunately, uh, it's not. And so, you know, right now, I am in a fat body and I intend to stay in a fat body and I'm not I'm not waiting for me to be thinner in order for me to do things and you know I talk about this in the show but you know I thought that until I'd completed my like body acceptance journey or got thin like I couldn't make work and then I realized actually oh I can make I can still make work about this journey not being finished and that's what I hope that's sort of where I was at with fatty fat fat and who knows what happens next but that's that's um definitely the space I was in with this with this show wow I can't believe how much I just relate to everything that you've just said it's absolutely crazy even the thing at school I think because 
I was funny and the like mm-hmm. theatrical one that I wasn't bullied for my fatness because I was worth something because I could make people laugh. I'd earned my fat card or something. Yeah, and the same with the industry as well. Like when I graduated from university and I was looking at the roles that were out there for a person who looks like me, I was told that I would be castable when I was in my 40s. Yeah. And I was 20 at the time. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, right, okay. So I'll just, I'll just wait, I'll wait 20 years then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's sort of like you, that's what drove me to make my own work because mm. there was nothing out there for me. And I wanted to talk about things that mattered to me on stage. So everything you've just said, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I think like, you know, there's there's such currency in being the fat funny one. And like, whenever we do see fat people on TV, it's usually in that role. And like, I definitely think there's something in, um, you know, if I can make the joke first, then I was somehow like, yeah. protected from that. And I definitely think I, I've done that. I still do that, I think, you know, but now I can use the word fat and people suddenly go, Ooh, <laughs> um you know, and just seeing like, and that's why I named the show Fatty Fat Fat, because I was like, let's be really explicit about this. So if you're going to come to the show, you need to either like search it on Google, or you need to go to the box office and ask to pick up your tickets. You're going to have said the word fat probably at least once, or at least, you know, heard it in reference to me at least once. So by the time you come and sit down in the theatre, like, you know what you're in for. And, you know, on the stage, I have these big helium silver balloons that say fat, like, you know, I'm just like, right. I'm, and again, maybe I'm doing a version of that. Like I'm making that joke first so that like I've got the power in that space. You don't get <laughs> to walk away and be like, oh yeah, she was, yeah, she was all right. Like, you remember that fat play that we saw? Like I've taken that away from you. Like I own that now. And maybe, maybe that's just a continuation of that. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. It's your space that you're on that stage. Mm. They're at your house. Okay. They've got to behave themselves. Yeah, exactly. So last year you sent me a link to watch the digital version of your show. And I absolutely loved it. It was so powerful and beautiful. And it was during lockdown. And I, like you, was going through a lot of complex feelings towards my body. I felt like because I was fat, people were a lot more worried about me being in isolation and not getting exercise. How are you eating? All this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I needed your show at that time. So thank you so much for sending that link. It meant the world. And I sent you a big message on Instagram to thank you. And I'm not, I haven't just waited. <laughs> <laughs> um, my pleasure. I'm so glad that um, I'm so glad that it, it came at a good time for you. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how the show came about and what the process of making it was actually like. Mm. As I mentioned before, there was a bunch of these anecdotes and stories from my life that I realised that other people hadn't been. That I sort of, yeah get to these sort of what I thought was the punchline, and people would be like. Ah, yeah are you okay <laughs> um <laughs> which I kind of don't mind but like also probably isn't great for making friends um so so yeah there was a bunch of um so yeah stories that I'd of, of things in my life that I'd been subject to that other people hadn't and I realized it was just because I was fat and so I decided to sort of make a note of these and research more into the kind of fat acceptance uh, fat positivity like movements and you know, spend more time in the online space, which we already talked about. And this, it all kind of came together in this melting pot of a show. And I was working with a 
a theatre at the time, I was working um, at the Yard in Hackney Wick. And they had like a programme they called Live Drafts, where you would get some rehearsal space and they'd give you some tech support and you'd have a night to share a sort of R&D thing. When I applied, I had a pitch and nothing written and they very kindly gave me a slot. And I was like, okay, cool. So you've got six weeks to make a show. So I wrote it. I wrote all those stories that had been going around in my head. I could see the show in my mind, like with the balloons. And I think there was more... I'd had it more worked out in my head than I'd kind of given myself credit for. I don't think I'd... I'd been talking about making the show long before I actually started making the show, which is often how I do a lot of things. Sort of like go on and on about it (laughs) until until I probably should do something about it now. Um, (laughs) And I knew there was like, you know, songs and moments that I wanted to be included. and, And it very much just sort of bundled together to make a show. And I shared it three years ago last week um, at the yard. I shared an R&D version, but like lots of people who came, it's like we had a a really great audience and lots of people who came, like I was like, you're never going to see this again. You're going to see this R&D and think it's finished. So like I need to make it good. (laughs) So I did and I worked really hard on it and I like had no one else. I had my housemate, um, God bless her. Like she helped me like work out what order to do and help run around getting props and things like that. I had a couple of other friends who I was in a poetry collective at the time with who sort of helped look at the text a bit but I just sort of bundled it together I rehearsed by myself I didn't have a director or anyone else in my team so I owe my friends a lot for that for just sort of like come along for the ride and then we did the first sharing and then from there it went kind of went down well and I used sort of social media to connect with other fat identifying team members and that's how I met um my director Maddie Moore and uh, my producer Daisy Hale and um, we got our space at Vault and so that from then we were able to put some funding in and build the team a little bit more and then after we did Vault we got a further like we used the rest of the money to go into a proper R&D with a proper team and add um, our sound designer movement and, and all those like wonderful things that help make it feel like a real life show and I was like cool this started off just like me in my living room and now I've got this like wonderful team yeah I think so many people think that when you're making solo autobiographical work like you do it, you have to do it all by yourself and there is absolutely no way the show will have achieved anything that it's done so far if it hadn't been for each of the members of the team they helped keep me safe like when I was you know sharing this things about myself they helped make it the best show that it could be and there was no way that I could have done that if I had I continued by myself so that's sort of the process we did like two proper R&Ds I guess and then we did Edinburgh and then we were supposed to tour last spring but that obviously didn't happen so we've got hopefully a couple of yeah we've got just announced our shows at Soho in the autumn and, and hopefully there might be some other around that as well yeah not only do we have the fat artist thing in common, but also both massive queers. <laughs> yeah. How did you discover your queerness? It was when I first went to drama school. Well, um, again, just sort of exposed to all these things outside of my little bubble growing up. So, uh, yeah, there was a girl in the year above me and she said she would. And I thought, oh, would I? And then I was like, we were going on a night out that evening and I was like, okay, like if I'm, if I'm going to go in for this... I need to, you know, make sure I'm prepped and ready. So I remember being in the shower being like, okay, am I going to commit to like giving this a go or at least being open to it or am I not? And I was like, yeah, do you know what? Why would I not? <laughs> yeah, that was sort of the beginning. Um, and I 
it was yeah very much because I felt I felt safe in a space um, at drama school and I uh, had lots of queer friends there and it really you know now I look back and there's loads of things growing up that I'm like yeah you didn't just like really want to be their friend like you fancied them and that's okay (laughs) but like looking back yeah there's there's a few other signposts for sure it was kind of um through my time but yeah once I left home that I really discovered that aspect of myself you know and originally I was like oh I'm bisexual but that phrase that word never really sat well with me and it was only much later that I kind of thought about my queerness and the fullness of my sexuality and also my relationship to my gender which is something that is still like you know ongoing but I you know I use she and they pronouns so like I also think that my fatness makes me feel more queer I think being fat inherently is like a, a queering of of the norm and so there was something that feels very interconnected between my fatness and my queerness and I feel most comfortable in my queerness with other fat bodies and I feel most comfortable in my fatness with other queer people oh my god can I get that on a t-shirt or something that was poetry (laughs) good I've never really thought about it like that but yeah as I was saying out loud I was like yeah this is it oh my gosh I love that I just gushed at that I was like oh (laughs) Um, so just on the topic of identity how do you think your identity has helped or hindered your career being fat and talking about it on stage has, has really, really helped my career. Um, and like taking ownership of that aspect of my identity, I think has been one of the most valuable <laughs> things in my career thus far. I don't feel like my queerness actually, that's what I mean. It's like those things, my fans, my queerness feels so interwoven, but like, I think maybe it's something about how I, because I present relatively, um, like I'm kind of femme present, female presenting. I don't, I, I often don't, look in inverted commas queer so uh that really like gives me a lot of privilege in spaces something that I that I I can choose to share or not with people which obviously is is you know an enormous privilege it also is really complicated and makes me feel lots of things also because sometimes I'm like I want you to know that I'm queer particularly when I was single I was like please (laughs) please I'm queer (laughs) hit on me (laughs) So much so, I've got this little lighter that was given to me by a friend a long time ago that's a naked woman, like, from, like, Tenerife or something. And um, I used to, like, always use it in smoking areas of, like, <laughs> of, like nightclubs to make sure that people <laughs> knew that I was queer. <laughs> was it, like, glow in the dark or, like... No, I wish. It's, like, very much flesh-coloured. And it's just got these, like, giant boobs and, like, no bum. <laughs> and so people in smoking areas, if I fancied them, they'd always be like, has anyone got a lighter? And I'd be like, you can use mine. And then I'd be like... And I'd always be like, oh, it's a naked lady. I hope you don't mind. And then they'd be like... <laughs> No, and then I'd be like, yeah, get with me. <laughs> you can use my queer lighter. Yeah, exactly. Um, although, yeah, obviously, it, like, it comes an enormous privilege being able to, like, choose how I'm, um, like, how I present in public. I don't think my queerness is, like, I haven't made as much work about doing, being directly queer. Like, I've made work about people that I've been in love with or, like, been a romantic or in a sexual relationship with. But, like, I don't always necessarily directly address that's queer like I talk at several points about being in love with like not with men in the show but like at no point is it ever is it ever listed as a queer show or does it anyone like yeah I don't make those lists I'm not like a queer artist I never I know ne- that's never been something that like um 
a particular like identifier for me professionally, although it informs my my how I navigate the world enormously, obviously. And but whereas my fatness, you know, I, I make, I've made a piece of work that's directly addressing that, so that's generally the thing that people want to talk about first, um, or yeah, like think that I I'm about first, and that's I'm, I'm okay with that. Whose work are you inspired by, or particularly loving at the moment? Oh, um, I'm really enjoying the wonderful Fat Butcher on Instagram. I think they're like joy in their this like fat character that they're creating is is so much. There's so much joy in it, and I think we need as much joy as we can at the moment. I love the way that they kind of bring light to the fat experience, the like the characters and the caricatures that they like bring to life. I love. Um, Ruby with Three Wise Jones, who is another like fat performer, um, recently moved abroad, but like does so many online like classes and opportunities and like the resources that they share um, and stuff like that always make me feel a lot of joy, particularly when there's been such a pressure for fat folk to like move their bodies. So I feel like Ruby provides like a space for that that's like really free from any weight stigma and conversations around that and they're just an all-round really good egg. Why are queer voices in the arts so important? The arts should hold up a you know without like without kind of quoting William Shakespeare because apparently I'm turning into some sort of like theatre nerd (laughs) who knew I love the classics but absolutely not me but like um you know, this should hold up a mirror to society and there's like a lot of queers everywhere. Queer voices are incredibly important. Like the relationship between queerness and the arts has existed for centuries. And so it underpins like queer history and the history of arts, like completely and utterly interwoven and inform each other directly. And so like can only get more important that those those voices are present. I would also say that we as like people in the theatre industry and myself included we actively have to make more space for different marginalised voices like we absolutely cannot come back from a pandemic a place where we haven't had live art although we've had lots of amazing digital art and and different ways of making art we cannot come to a place where we're coming back to live art where we're just seeing the same shit over and over again and the same people and the parts and the same okay we know we need to like program in a vertical as diverse stories but we'll just we we still like our mates the straight white men so we'll just get them to write the stories about these people or like we'll get them to play the gay parts so we can still keep our like our pals in work but we're, we're like ticking the boxes as well like just that absolutely cannot slide um yeah. like we need to come back from this well regardless of the pandemic like we just need to be better and we need to make sure that like our stages and the people that are behind them and making the decisions both creatively but also in buildings and like venues and theatre companies like are truly representing like the, the wide breadth of people that should be interacting with art like and until they represent the wide variety of people that live in this world and the people aren't going to be interested in the arts like, arts are great and I like my life would not exist without art but it's not important to anyone else that like, we have in order to make it important we have to make it relevant we have to make people feel like they're reflected and I think queer voices are incredibly important in aiding like representation and and keeping those conversations and like communities involved in the arts so it not doesn't just become this like cool insular club because it's not cool it's just rubbish actually 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So what advice would you have for any emerging queer artists out there? Um, keep being queer. <laughs> um, I would say just try your best to find your tribe. I think queer people are, are, are good at that, but it doesn't always happen straight away. Um, you know, finding your chosen family or finding your friends. The work that I make is based on my relationships to people in the world. And so if I wasn't able to meet those people, like I wouldn't have any work to make. And they have supported me to practically get that work on stages. But also, you know, it's through my lived experience with them that I have something to talk about. So I would encourage you where you can to find your tribe. That doesn't have to be in person. That doesn't have to be in a big way. It could be one person. It doesn't have to be like... 25 people but just like find try and find someone that really gets you in your work and maybe so I know that's easier said than done but like you don't need to do it alone so like really try and find even if you want to make work alone like it doesn't happen by yourself. Katie thank you so much for talking to me today I could continue for the next maybe eight to 12 hours (laughs) um, but I'm not going to take any more of your time Thank you for everything. Please tell our listener how they can find you on social media. Of course. Um, it's uh, on Instagram, I'm katie.greenall and on uh, Twitter, I'm katie underscore greenall. And um, you can head to my website as well um, if you want to, to keep in touch. Um, but yeah, it's been so nice talking to you. Actually, I've had such a lush time. So it's been, um, it's been a joy. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And then what I said, I could have literally continued our conversation for hours and hours. Fatty Fat Fat is coming to the Soho Theatre from the 1st to the 3rd of September and tickets are already on sale, so get booking. It really is a stunning show. Now it's time for our Spotlight On segment. So let's hear a bit about this week's featured artist, their careers so far, and what they'll be working on this year with a little bit of help from Homotopia. I'm Dan Chan. I'm a mixed British-Chinese queer artist based in Liverpool. My work is made mainly digitally on Photoshop and drag, so, you know, typical performance style. And within this, I work with printed textiles and costume, which kind of stems from my background in fashion and textiles. And within this work, again, I also do some writing on the intersections of race and queerness, which stems from the themes I look at in my work, as well as a bit of teaching workshops for kids. One of the main aims of my work is to explore my identity by connecting with my heritage, queerness and the fluidity of gender. And for me, this is a way to reconnect with parts of myself I haven't really explored as an artist and even just in my personal life for various reasons. And one of the main ones is growing up as a mixed race child in a white neighbourhood. And obviously when it's like that, you kind of just want to fit in as much as possible. So I'm embracing it now. So it's all good. And in addition to this, I also think it's really, really important to create representation for queer youth, especially for the experience of queer Asians, as I, as I really didn't really have this representation when I was growing up as a child. Today, you can see there are some glimmers of this coming through, and that's like in art, film and TV especially, and wider culture. So I guess you could say like in like beauty campaigns, fashion magazines and things like that. But even then, there's still so, so much more that needs to be done. And 
that's the great thing with realizing it. You can just build upon what's already existing in the world and create these absolutely fabulous representations of queerness, Asianness, the two together in every shape and form. Some of my favorite artists are Lee Bowery, Sasha Velour, and the fashion designer Walter Van Beerendonk. And to me, they all have a similarity, and that's they all have a sense of fun, campness, and beauty. And I, when I say beauty, I don't mean it in like a typical sort of traditional sense of beauty. I mean it as like the artists are finding beauty within things, and it's like so specific to their own point of view, which I find really, really like interesting and I guess like magical, really. And within that, they kind of express a form of a narrative or a message in the work, which is something I kind of relate to in terms of an artist, because I have these like kind of, I guess, dreamlike visuals. And there's always some kind of message that underpins the work, which varies from piece to piece. So one of the main aims for me for this year as an artist in general and on part of the Queer Core programme is to be combining my work as a visual artist and a drag artist because previously I would kind of approach these as two separate entities. And it wasn't until like, the end of last year that I saw the works in like separately and I was like, oh wait, there's something here. I think it can be interesting to bring the two together. And now it just feels really, really natural to be pushing the two together and just going towards in this direction. And this is done through creating digital works on Photoshop, video work and performance. So to me, queer art is something of two meanings, and I see this as having one side of it being art made by a queer person, and through that they express their experiences, their stories, the people around them, their life, and that sort of thing. And the other side of the meaning is an artwork that might be maybe a queer person, or could just be made by a straight person. It doesn't really matter, but it has a sort of energy that gravitates to the world of queerness and it draws in a queer audience and a queer eye and I guess you could say it's queer adjacent in this sort of context and I think in this sense it's like it's I guess similar to how allies exist in the world that they're there to support queer people but they're not taking the space of queer people oh sounds so good yes Dan Now it's time to hear about all the majestic queer art and iconic queer artists you are all loving right now. Be sure to stick around and find out how you can submit yours. Hi, I thought I'd give a couple of artists I'm sort of loving in love with right now. The first one is an obvious one, but it's Little Nas X. I don't know if you saw their performance at the BET Awards, but they were kissing a man on stage. I don't like to use the word unapologetic, but he's just it. He's the moment right now to be so young, so talented, so fearless. And not just his sort of performances and his songs, but if you just go to his Twitter feed, the way he responds to some of the trolling or some of the abuse or some of the jokes that are thrown his way, he's so gracious yet witty yet hilarious and cutting and i just wish i had the out an ounce of his confidence but i just think of that generation he is just the moment and he is it and he just gives off an energy to me that is so inspiring and the second is someone called scotty gillespie they're an artist illustrator animator he makes some incredible ceramics which i keep missing because they keep selling out very fast 
not only being super talented, but he does this thing every week where he does, I think it's like things I loved this week, and he'll share other artists' work, particularly queer artists' work. And it's always inspiring to me to see people who are great artists in their own right, but also sharing other people's work. And I found so many cool queer artists via his Instagram page. So shout out to Little Nas X and to Scotty Gillespie. Hi, Smashly. It's me, your biggest fan. Um, there's a painter who's really amazing called Kate Bickmore from New York, and she's in London at the moment, um, who is an incredibly talented painter. You should check her out. Okay, love you. Bye. Hi, Ashley. Oh, this is such a hard question because there is so much beautiful art going on in the world right now from LGBTQIA plus artists. So there is a singer called Ben Platt, who he originated the role of Evan in the musical Dear Evan Hansen. And he has since formed a pop career out of it. And he's absolutely incredible. His first album is called Sing To Me Instead. And that has been played on loop since it came out. And I still play it on loop and I never get bored of it. It's just so beautiful. Another, so... I live in London, Ashley, and there's a show called Death Drop, which is a play and all the cast are either drag queens or drag kings and I have never laughed so much in my entire life from start to finish. You've got queens in it like Myra Dubois, uh, Anaphylactic, um, who's a Manchester-based queen. And then you've got like drag kings like Louis Cipher, Don Juan, like, it's genius. And um, it was written by, and it's starring um, Holly Stars. And it's just absolutely incredible. It's such a good cast. Everything about it is amazing. And also, one of my favourite all-time queens, who I love dearly, is Liverpool's own Filler Crack. I am obsessed with Filler. Anything they post online... She's just so funny and she has like, she makes her own dresses and clothes and it's just beautiful and she's so funny and she, during lockdown, she really, really kept us entertained. Um, she would do like, um, Facebook lives. Um, she'd post videos of her going around Liverpool and surprising people and, and giving them like gifts of song when they were locked in the house and, not only is she a fantastic queen and really talented queen, but she's also one of the one of the most beautiful souls there is out there. Hey Ash, the person I've been into lately is Drag Race UK season two queen Bimli Bamboulash with their new song God Save This Queen. It's so great and it's it's a really fun song and I've been enjoying it a lot. Hello Ashley. My favourite queer or LGBT artist is actually the guy who runs the Love of Huns Instagram page purely because all of the content is referencing LGBT and pop culture, but also they actually just take really boring, dreary, miserable things and make them quite fun and interesting and they've got really, really fun content. If you would like to leave us a voice note on WhatsApp to be featured in a future episode, our number is 07 880 567 768. Thank you for listening. 
If this is your first time here, you could always pop back to last week's episode with the hilarious Rob Madge. We'll be back next Thursday with another fabulous guest, so be sure to come along for that. If you want to connect with Homotopia or myself on social media, all the links will be in the description below. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, please leave us a lovely review and tell your mates about us. This has been The Queer Gaze, produced and hosted by me, Ashley Owen, and supported by Homotopia. A special thank you to Lo Tierney for the logo and artwork, and to Olivia and the Homotopia team for their support.